if trust is the most important word in any language, then change is the most powerful one because without change, you don't develop, prosper, or grow. So the Icons is a show about leading our lives, our work, and our businesses to the next level and learning from those who've achieved iconic success in the iconic locations that bring their stories to life. And I'm so excited for today's conversation. You're going to hear about one of the most remarkable success stories you've probably ever come across. Keith Kroc, welcome to the Icons by Motiversity. Tyler, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I understand, I mean, we're in San Francisco, beautiful lion steps. This is your stomping ground, is it not? It's really close to my home, is yeah. It? Run these steps a few times, you'll be winded. No kidding. And, and the story out to Silicon Valley is an interesting one for you. I mean, you grew up small town Ohio. You, you worked in your dad's machine shop as a welder, went to school to become an engineer, and I think the plan was to go back to the machine shop, but something, it was a curveball that happened there. Well, you know, uh, when I was working at that machine shop, welding at age 12, uh, you know, it was uh, five people in the good times yeah. and just my dad and me in the, in the tough times. And then, and then GM, right? And then Coming GM, out of school? yeah. And, uh, you know, his dream was that I would go off and uh, get some college knowledge and be an engineer come back to his machine shop and build a big company, like 10 people. So I, I, I went off to Purdue to become a Boilermaker, and the GM came on campus uh, my sophomore year and gave me a full ride. They, it was a GM scholarship, so that was a, a real big turning point because along with that went in a, you know, amazing summer jobs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then GM sent me off to graduate school too. Hmm. And, and then my dad started to call him Generous Motors. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 that's a good, good name. But it, I mean, you're being humble, summer, summer student, but by age 26, you became the youngest VP in their history. What would they have been seeing in you for that to happen? Well, I ask my, <laughs> myself that question all the time. Um, you know, I think they, they saw somebody who wasn't afraid to take a risk and, and somebody who wasn't afraid to own something. And the summer before um, I started full-time at, at General Motors between years at business school, I worked in the New York Treasurer's Office. And that basically is a staff for the board of directors. My first job was I was a second shift production foreman on, on the chassis line at Cadillac. But um, you know what uh, I saw happening uh, at that time was robotics. This is in the early 80s, it was popping up. I had wrote you know, an equivalent to like a thesis at Harvard Business School on the utilization of robotics in the Japanese auto industry. So I went and I pitched the board of directors, General Motors should get in the robotics business. And to my surprise, they said, okay, how should we do it? Because they had like the most sophisticated robot technology. I said, you know, we need to join venture because we need a broad product line. And, they, and then they said, with who? And I go, well, can I come back to the next board meeting? And uh, I'll never forget, I came back and I said, we should join venture with a company called Fujitsu Fanuc. Now understand at that time, all those board of directors, they were World War II veterans. And they said, you mean partner with the Japanese? I go, yes, partner with the Japanese. And uh, we built that up. Uh, uh, to today, it's the largest uh, manufacturer of industrial robots in the world. And the average age of that team 
probably was in the early 30s. And we, uh, we put GE, IBM, and Westinghouse out of the business. We just became dominant in that area. Now, I want to get to your story coming out here, but you talk about ownership, and I think that's a word that probably connects to a lot of our viewers. But, you know, they'd also be thinking, how do I do that? Like, how did you have the confidence, the ownership to say, you know, I'm ready to go pitch to the, to the board? Yeah. You know, I, I think it comes down to, um, I built a high performance team a, as we were getting going, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the most important job of any CEO. And I really believe that the organization, the company with the best people wins. And the key is how do you get them working together as a team, right? You know, the way I believe in that is you've got to have a North Star, uh, a noble cause. Uh, you also need an enemy. Um, because, you know, that stops the water cooler talk, nothing gets the blood stir. You know, in the United States State Department, we call it an adversary, but in business, we call it an enemy. And then the third thing you need is you need a plan. And with all these companies uh, that I had the good fortune to build and these different organizations I ran, we would always have a playbook. And that's basically the vision, the mission, the values, the team rules, long-term goals, strategy, all boiled down to execution. So. It really was a way to maintain alignment and a, 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 a tremendous tool when it comes to scaling. So you're learning all this stuff at GM. I'm sure it's just kind of a pressure cooker of opportunity. And then, and then you leave that and you come to the Valley and you start your first business, Razna. It, 10 years later, sell it for half a, half a billion dollars. Is that right? Yeah. So how did you go? I mean, first off, why did you leave GM to come start and become yeah. an entrepreneur? Yeah, and by the way, people thought, I was absolutely I can nuts. I can because, imagine. Because at that time, nobody left Mother General Motors. Yeah, it was Most their powerful heyday, company right? in the world, 1.5 million employees. Um, and, uh, you know, and I was, they called me a high pot, a high potential guy, right? Um, but, you know, uh, I just kind of had an itching to go run my own thing. And, uh, and at that time, um, you know, GMF Robotics, we were doing a lot of business out in Silicon Valley selling disk drive manufacturers. Mm. And, you know, I looked at this and I said, man, this is the West Point of capitalism. It's like the United Nations, it's a total meritocracy. There's a premium on youth. You know, the only way you could be a, fa a failure is not to have failed. And so I took a flyer and came out. And uh, to be honest, we, the first company I went at was a total disaster. Really? It was like running a hundred yard dash and being smacked in the face with a two by four. I came out to be the number two guy at a software company called Kronos with a Q. You've never heard of it. And I'll, uh, I'll never forget, uh, I think it was my second day on the job, the CEO said, Keith, I want you to say this at the next board meeting. And I go, Maria, I will not say that. That would be lying. And, you know, you've had that experience. You get that big bit in your sure, stomach sure. and you just turn warm and say, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. And um, I hung in there for nine months. I thought I could, I thought I could uh, change the culture. But finally, when my first son was, was being born, um, I was at the hospital and IBM had been a big investor. She kept calling me, yeah, you, Keith, you gotta come back. And finally, I just told her to do something that's anatomically impossible to do. And I said, I quit. That was, that was a big inflection point in my life. Mm -hmm. And that led to Razna and Ariba and Dr. and all that. But the lesson I learned, and it was always straight in front of my face. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, great Midwestern values. 
uh, integrity was key, same at General Motors, Purdue, all of that. And there was a different value system. So from there on out, uh, always job was to make sure every organization, every company had a great set of values and integrity because people can say, hey, I don't like how you look. I don't like where you went to school, but they can't take your integrity away. Hmm. You know, I think about some of the businesses you ended up building, Ariba, DocuSign, and the underlying importance of trust in those businesses and why values probably played a critical role Absolutely. in all of that. Because when you add up those values, that equals trust. And if you think about it, if you're starting a company from scratch, people got to, first of all, they got to trust you. Mm. Mm. They've got to trust your product. They've got to trust your processes. They've got to trust your company. And so it all boils down to trust. And if you think about it, um, you know, what's your most valuable asset if you're starting a company? Well, it's your trusted relationships. So what's one of the most important skills? It's building trust. And everything in the business world is divided by time. So the most important skill is how fast can you build trust divided by time? Interesting. So for those who are, you know, student, young professional thinking, okay, I buy into this idea of trust, but how do I do, like on a Wednesday, how do I start to build trust? I show up to work tomorrow. Yeah. What do I do to build trust? Yeah. Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, you got to trust yourself. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, because you can't trust anybody else unless you trust yourself. And, uh, you know, I found a uh, way to build that trust is keep jumping in water over your head. But I, we can come back to that. But um, so you, you go into a new environment, go into a new company, uh, something like that. So how do, you, how do you build trust? Well, you do it one-on-one. And so the question is, can you build trust at a lunch? Can you do it at a dinner? And what I found, one of the things that, that works is you can't be afraid to be vulnerable. Because when you're vulnerable with somebody, about 95% of the time, they'll reciprocate in kind. And when both sides are vulnerable, that forms a connection. And that, that is a way uh, that I found all the time. Or also another one is, tell me your story. Everybody loves to tell their story. And I'm just naturally a curious person, so I love hearing, so I, that never bores me. So. It's really the power of one-on-one relationships. You talked about an inflection point. That word always catches my ear. I think of leadership as creating inflection points. And so, you know, that first company you, you go to, left GM, nine months in, this isn't working out. I mean, you were at a fork in the road. You could have gone back to big business or you could have started the next thing and you co-founded the next thing. Yeah. Razna, um, why that choice? Like why? Why your own path versus go back to what you know? Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure I could have gone back to General Motors, but uh, I don't know, maybe if I just admit it right now, pride probably could allow me to do that. Uh, uh, plus, I, I, you know, I wanted to give it another try. I wasn't ready to throw in the towel. And, you know, one of the things my dad always said is the key is when the world hands you a sack of sour lemons, the objective of the game is to turn into sweet lemonade. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. And so what I did, I mean, think, and I just moved out to California. I was making a lot of money at General Motors, but you got to buy this big house out here and all that. I just had my second child, you know, I'm like, what am I going to do now? And so I just went and, you know, just what I, what I did is, is I, 
put everything I learned in business school together, and I put together the Keith Kroc business plan. And, you know, went out and talked to everybody, just kind of scoured all these different places. And I ended up hooking up with three PhD scientists from the IBM research labs that had a technology that if they could actually develop the product, it would change the way mechanical engineering was done. And, and, and you know, big customers were automotive customers, aerospace customers. They said they could do it in six months. It took about two and a half years, but, uh, but it worked. And we changed the way mechanical engineering is done with, with that software from RAS. And we created a thing called mechanical design synthesis and design optimization software. So even my, my oldest son, who's a spacecraft design engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in NASA, so proud of him. Uh, low uses bar, it, low bar. You know? <laughs> uh, we were all set to take it public, and then a company called Paramount Technology came in and, and, and bought it from us. And uh, that was great. I mean, it was a great experience. It was a great team, and it, was, it wasn't as, I mean, it was not even a tenth the market of, let's say, an Ariba or a DocuSign. So we had to sharpen every skill we had. It was kind of like running against the wind. but. Uh, a lot of the folks from that team went to Ariba, and then a lot of those folks also went to DocuSign. No kidding. So let's let's talk about Ariba. So Ariba starts right after Razna. You, you co-found that, yeah. And then it grows, it grows like unbelievably yeah. fast, yeah. And and then you take it public around that 2000, around that time, 99. Yeah. So I mean, now there's almost a playbook for startups in the software scene, yeah. but you yeah. were almost inventing the playbook. What was that period of time from a leadership perspective? you know, just innovating yeah. in this valley that was ready for innovation. What yeah. was that time like yeah. for you? Well, we used the same playbook that we used back at GMF, that we used at Razza, that we used uh, at Ariba. It's really funny to see them over time, yeah. which we also used the United States State Department. But it was an amazing, it was an amazing time because right after Razna happened, uh, actually the guys from, uh, the guys who formed Benchmark Capital said, hey, Keith, why don't you come become a venture capitalist? And I said, well, I don't know, I'm more operating guy. Maybe I could do that when I retire. And uh, one of the guys who was leading that was Bob Kegel, who I knew from GM. So he said, hey, why don't you just be an entrepreneur in residence? I go, what's well, that? Well, just look at all these deals, <laughs> you know, pick one out. So I did that for six months. It was greatest experience ever because I saw, this is when the internet was coming out, I saw about a hundred deals. And you could see which business models were gonna make it, which ones weren't. And so finally, grabbed the old guys from Razna. We said, hey, with this internet coming out, we saw this stuff, business consumer electronic commerce, we go, we're B2B, business to business guys. We do business to business electronic commerce. So we invented business to business electronic commerce. And it was the first enterprise application that got written on the internet. And so what we could actually do is hook up buyers with suppliers, which was revolutionary at that time. And it really took off. So our revenue doubled quarter over quarter for 12 quarters in a row. Uh, we took it, you know, we took it public after two and three quarters years, got up to 40 billion, and to this day, 3.7 trillion of transactions. Trillion. trillion. More than all the trade in the Western Hemisphere, more than eBay, Alibaba, and Amazon combined go through that Ariba network. Okay, I, we need to go back to this playbook. You went through it really quick, but it feels like this playbook has built a couple multi-billion dollar businesses yeah. that, that conduct trillions of dollars worth of business. Yeah. Walk us through that playbook again. Yeah, so uh, the vision, right? And so for your vision, 
Uh, and our vision at Ariba was really simple. We said we want to build a great sustaining company into the 21st century because we had ju just sold Razzle and we actually kind of wanted to keep it going. They just made us an offer we couldn't refuse. We owed that to the shareholders. Good problem to have. Yeah. And then the mission is all about leadership because the object of the game, particularly in Silicon Valley, is to be the category king. Because when you're the category king, you get 80% of the industry resources and 80% of market cap. Players two, three, four, five, six, they can fight over the scraps. So our mission was to create a category called business to business electronic commerce and to be the leader. And then the next thing under that is your values. So, right, integrity's there, courage, high ambition, accountability, respect, the basics. And then we had a set of team rules that kind of personify those values. And by the way, same team rules for all the companies. The first one is direct, open, and honest communication. In a word, the truth. Because I had seen at General Motors, when you go through 15 levels, you know, I started at the lowest of the low production form, to the highest of the high where I was a staff for the board of directors, I could see how that message would change, right? Um, the second one is no ideas, a bad idea. And then we added parentheses, unless CEOs. So, because it's all about making a safe environment. Sure, sure. And, 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 and you can make a, a safe environment when you mock out the CEO. Plus it's fun. Uh, the third one is always raise the standard in everything we do, in our people, our processes, and our products. And if somebody can't keep up with that standard, you gotta do something about it. Otherwise, you've automatically lowered your standard. Then the fourth one is, we're a team first and functional specialist second. So you developers put your feet in the customer's shoes. You sales guys don't make commitments we can't keep. And then the fifth one is the most powerful one of all. And that is hire the best people, especially if they're better than us. And I'll tell you an inflection point in Ariba, you know, every Friday up until we probably got to be about 100 people, we'd go around the room at what we call the round table. Anybody could say anything they want uh, on their mind. Ariba, we had seven founders, right? And so this one guy stands up, our VP of marketing, one of the founders, Bobby Lynn, and he goes, you know, this opportunity is way bigger than I ever imagined. Uh, Ariba's gonna be way more successful than I think even I can dream of. And he goes, citing team rule number five, I think, I think we ought to go out and hire a real world-class VP of marketing who's done it before, and I'll focus on partnership. And you can just see jaws dropping. And the guy who came after him, I'll never forget his guy, his name was Guy Haskins, he was about 24 years old. He just goes, Bobby, I just came from a software company. It is gonna go bankrupt any day now. But if one guy would have had the courage to say what you just said right now, we could have taken it to the moon. So from that point on, it became noble to hire the best people, especially better than us. Hmm. Would you say that's been your noble cause? You mentioned that idea of kind of a noble mission or noble cause. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about uh, one of the key noble causes is giving people the opportunity to do things they would have never dreamed of hmm. and accomplish things that they never thought were possible. At the end of the day, that probably is the most noble cause. You know, what Ariba ended up doing is accelerating commerce around the world. We disrupted the largest industry and the oldest industry um, in the world. And 
also we reduce tremendous amount of cost in terms of uh, things that people buy. So, you know, that has a big impact on increasing uh, gross national product, you know, per capita, which is basically standard of living. So um, it had a big impact. Powerful. And then, I mean, you shift from Ariba to DocuSign. And I think, you know, we all see DocuSign now and recognize what it's become. But you joined DocuSign when it's 50 people. I mean, you just left a multi-billion dollar company. You, you join as CEO and chairman of DocuSign, 50 people, and then lead it through from, from that kind of startup to a billion users worldwide. Why that move then? Yeah, well, uh, by the way, after Reba, I actually went to become chairman of the board of trustees at Purdue. So it was okay, time for me to okay, give back. Okay, okay. Um, uh, and I never thought that's I was going to- That's an gonna, important piece. That's Thanks. an important piece. And, but I never thought I was going to go uh, uh, go back and do the CEO gig again. And uh, I, I got a call, uh, said, you know, Croc, just look at this thing. Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. eventually okay. I, I'm not doing this. No, 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 just have a cup of coffee. And I looked at it and I said, you know, most people are going to probably think this is just going to be a feature of Adobe. But I'll tell you, we could run the same play we ran at Ariba we can build this thing up into a category king. Hmm. And, uh, but I still didn't commit. I first came, I'm gonna be, I go, I'll just be on the board. And then they go, at the first board, be the chairman, right? And then, and then it was finally, uh, a few months went by, and they said, hey, Keith, uh, you know, this thing is, uh, we need you as CEO. And I went back to my wife and I said, hey, I don't want to do this. I go, you know, it's seven by 24. You don't want to see this. You know, you're guaranteed, you know, at least once a month. Well, for sure, once a quarter, you're going to be under the desk in the fetal position. And, and she said to me, she goes, you know, uh, I've seen uh, Father Keith. I've seen uh, uh, Husband Keith. I've seen Purdue Keith. I've seen Simakai Keith. I haven't seen CEO Keith. I'd love to see that. She goes, plus, you're so excited when you go to those board meetings and you're even more excited after that. And uh, so anyway, I did it and, it and it was, you know, a tremendous experience, obviously. How about that for a life teammate, hey, to say that? Uh, what do you think, what do you think drives you? Yeah, that's probably a good question. Um, you know, I've had the good fortune of, uh, living the American dream. Uh, and I feel really, really, really uh, blessed. And so I think that was one of the things my parents, you know, obviously I, I, my drive comes from my upbringing and, um, and it's about paying it forward and giving it back. And so if you look at the things, whether it's uh, what I did in higher education or in the business world or in uh, public service, it's all about that next generation. Um, you know, it's, it, uh, one of the things that I started before I went off into government was called the Global Mentor Network. And it's all about uh, mentoring uh, tomorrow's transformational leaders at scale. So, you know, we created all these videos of these really famous transformational leaders. And so if, if you ask me, okay, so what would be your big uh, legacy you want to leave behind. I think back of what my dad would always say about fatherhood. He goes, you never know if you're a good father until you see your children's children. So I would say, 
you know, it's all about my mentees, mentees. You never know if you're a good leader until you see your mentees, mentees, because you're teaching them how to cascade that down. And I've had some great mentors in my life. You know, there's a genealogy out here in Silicon Valley because this stuff's not written in a book, mm -hmm. right? So you learn from the previous guy. My mom would always say the best way to learn is OPE, other people's experience. She would always say the best way to learn is from your mistakes. She goes learn from other people's mistakes. You have time enough to make your, your own, right? I mean, you, you bring up the next chapter. So DocuSign, you I mean you lead that to over a billion users. And, and maybe it's the pay it forward, I'm curious. You decided to enter public service. Was that the driving reason? Was it a pay it forward moment? What, what caused you to go into government? Well, it was the fastest decision I ever made. Never been involved in politics in my life. I ran all my companies politically neutral. And um, next thing you know, Keith, have you ever thought about serving your country? I go, it's a dream I never knew I had. I'd be honored. I go, can you move? I go, I can move anywhere. That was it. And I was sent to the State Department to run United States Economic Diplomacy. Under Secretary of State? Under Secretary of State, yeah. yeah. Known as the role E, I heard. What's that? Known as the role E? Is that what it's referred to as yeah. sometimes? Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, in the government, I'm the E. You're right? the E, yeah. The e. You're the, and you were unanimously voted in, in person by the Senate. Yeah, so unanimous confirmation, which is uh, really rare, uh, particularly these days, but rare at that level probably because nobody really knew me. <laughs> but, um, but it was a great experience. It was the greatest experience of my life. And my charge was to develop and operationalize a global economic security strategy to drive economic growth, maximize national security, and combat economic aggression. And um, so the first thing I did, let's bring in a great team. I brought in 12 guys from Silicon Valley and, um, and it was a great experience for these guys. And what I did is I combined them with some of the best foreign service officers and civil service uh, in the State Department. And each one worshiped the ground the other one uh, walked on. And I can tell you, as far as the foreign service officers go in the civil service, you know, these guys are some of the smartest people I met. They speak 47 languages. They're North Stars National Security. They work their tail off. Um, you know, they, they rotate every three years. They got to take dangerous assignments. And I always tell everybody, you know, when you see one of these guys, just like when you see somebody who served in the military, you thank them for their service. You thank these guys for their service. So, but what these guys, uh, the Foreign Service had an experience is economic warcraft, is what we practice in Silicon Valley. We just happen to play by the rules, right? Because if you don't have your integrity, you don't have anything. This was different temperaments, talents, and convictions. And if there's anything I've learned in my business career, diversity of thought is the catalyst for genius. And uh, we, made, we made a lot of magic happen. And why was it the greatest experience? I mean, you, by that point, VP of GM, start a few businesses that go huge, and then enter, enter public service. Like, what, what was it about that experience that was so fantastic? Let me put it this way. So one of the guys, uh, who went to Purdue with me, was a GM, all these companies, a guy named Mark Carlson, I brought in the State Department. And we were walking back from the State Department one night, and he, go, and he goes, Croc, you know, the, you know the noble cause? We had at all these companies, you know, increasing living standard, accelerating commerce, all that. Increasing productivity, giving people opportunity. Go, you add them all up, it's minuscule 
compared to what we're doing in the United States State Department because the impact was, was so incredibly broad. You know, so we developed this plan and this is back in um, January 2020. And in less than nine months, we were able to build what we call the Clean Network Alliance of Democracies that rep represented 60 countries, two thirds of the world's global GDP, 200 telcos, um, a whole bunch of industry leading companies going, well, a year before I'm standing up in front of all the DocuSign employees and go, we're not in the software business. We're in the trust business. We deal with people's most important documents. And trust is the basis of every relationship, personal, business, or otherwise. You do business with people you trust. You partner with people you trust. You buy from people you trust. You love people you trust. 5G is, a trust, <laughs> is all about a trust business. It sounds like trust has been foundational to just about everything you've done. And I, I mean, I, at the beginning I mentioned you've got one of the more remarkable success stories I've ever come across. We haven't even brought up the part that gives me chills yet. You've just been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, I'm, I'm curious if, it, if you think it's based on trust, but I want to know what was that moment like to receive that call, that message? I, I can't imagine how the communication comes. What was it like? Uh, I mean, I was in shock because that's something I never ever, ever dreamed about. Um, I did have a flashback though to uh, when I was working for my dad, you know, as a teenager, we'd go in the factory every uh, Saturday and we'd scrub the toilets and he'd be in one, I'd be in the other and he used to yell, because we hated doing that. And, and he would yell over there, Keith, we can't solve world peace, but we could try, you know. Uh, but anyway, it was all about the team, right? Because I brought in a great bipartisan team that did incredible things, you know, um, strengthened U.S.-Taiwan ties, did the largest onboarding in history, the semiconductors, all that. So you don't do that alone. But more than anything else, it was humbling. I mean, I mean, think about, you know, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, the list goes on and on. And then also at the same time, thinking about what's going on over Ukraine and the courageousness of those people and the atrocities that are being committed. So yeah, it was, I mean, it was a really, really humbling feeling. What's next? Well, uh, one of the things is that uh, we've taken our mission and carried it forward in terms of what we were doing at, at the State Department to advance freedom through technology and combat technological authoritarianism. And so we started the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue. And it's now become probably the preeminent global authority on tech statecraft, tech diplomacy, building a global trust network, all about advancing freedom through technology because technology can be used for good or bad. And as the world is clearly seeing now, there are are some bad guys out there. And you know, I think if, if I look back, you know, what was the big thing I learned uh, serving uh, at the United States State Department, serving the country? And it's this, that this democracy that we have is just a 250 year old experiment. And it goes all against all the laws of nature because the natural order of things is the bad king, the dictator, and the emperor and you have to fight every day for that. And, you know, growing up in as 
little small town Ohio with a white picket fence and a dog and 2.5 jobs. That doesn't come for free. And, you know, if it wasn't for United States leadership and our allies, there'd be a lot of people uh, living without those freedoms. And I think people are seeing, seeing that now. So that's, that, that's the mission. Um, th that's, what's, that's what's next because um, there are a lot of bad things going on and, and that's a pretty good mission. Um, and uh, we're building a tremendous team at the Institute there at Purdue. You've been through such an unbelievable set of experiences. When you look back, I you, you know you've got a, a, a young family what, what's the life lesson? Like, what's the thing you'd want anyone who's kind of grown up right now to really hear from you? Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I've been doing transformations my whole life, right? Uh, I, I can't do anything without kind of stirring up the, uh, the pot. And I think my uh, the thing that I want to get across is the world needs more transformational leaders than ever before to deal with a fragmented world. You know, the, the, the rate of change is happening so much. We need principal leaders who can uh, solve complex problems. Um, and, you know, I think the only way to do that is to jump in water over your head. You know, and, and I, I, you know that's something I've been doing my whole life because if, if trust is the most important word in any language, then change is the most powerful one because without change, you don't develop, prosper, or grow. And um, in the business world, you're either changing or you're dying. And the best way to uh, deal with the future is to invent it. So um, that would, you know, that would be that would be my message. I also would say, don't get too high on the highs and don't get too low on the lows. <laughs> You talk about not getting too high, not getting too low. I mean, I'm noticing it through this. You've got a real sense of humor. Has that been, uh, has that been helpful for you in your career? Uh, well, yeah, for <laughs> okay. sure. Putting you on the spot. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting. So this is when I, I was in college. I, I came back and I'm, uh, I'm sitting down with my dad. Actually, let me tell you another story first about that. So I'm at Harvard Business School. I'm fascinated by leadership. There's a second year professor who's like the expert in leadership. So I'm my first year. I'm trying to get, uh, you know, visiting hours with him. So finally I get it. I come in his office. He goes, what do you want? I go, I just, I just have one question. And he goes, what's that? I go, what makes a great leader? He goes, close your eyes. So I close my eyes. He goes, all right, right now, right off the top of your head, things fast as you can. Who's this uh, leader who pops in your head that you follow? This is the best leader you've ever met. You got it? I go, I got it. He goes, okay. Same thing. Now think, right away, pops in your head, why? You got it? I go, I got it. And so he goes, you can open your eyes. And he goes, I don't know the answer to question one, but I know the answer to question two. He goes, I bet the answer to question two is that this person is fun to be around. They probably are even funny. I go, yeah, one of the funniest people I know. He goes, just out of curiosity. You know, who, what's the answer number one? I go, it's my dad. He's one of the funniest guys I know. And, you know, it was interesting. So back, get back to when I was coming back from college. So I'm having a beer with him late at night. And he, and he was a boxer of the army. He goes, Keith, uh, 
Did you ever get like in a situation where you just thought you couldn't get out of, you know? I go, what do you mean, Dad? He goes, like, you know, you're being pummeled in the ring, you know, boxer, you just can't get out. I go, yeah. He goes, there's always one way out. And he just leaves it hanging right. <laughs> Dad, what is it? He goes, mock yourself out. Mock yourself out, it just works every time. Now, he didn't use big words like a deprecating sense of humor. He was a guy who came up from Germany. But he goes, yeah, it just works every time. Just mock yourself. And he goes, now make sure you don't mock somebody else out because you might hurt their feelings. And that's not funny. And, I mean, you think about it. You know, you stand up in front of a crowd. You know, you stand up in front of a company. Ah, 95% of these folks, they know your fears, your failures, and your flaws, or they soon will be. So why not have fun with them? Right? And, uh, yeah, so... And, you know, I, I had an old buddy once, he goes, never look too good or talk too smart. I mean, that comes naturally to me, so, but, you know. <laughs> I've got one last question for you. I mean, it feels like you've built your career right when you crest one wave. You're now looking at the next and you, you see something before others have. What do you see coming right now? Like, what do you feel like is the next big opportunity? Well, uh, I see a big shift geopolitically. And it, it's all in the line with um, democracy's been under attack like never before. And it's coming to fruition. And that affects our freedoms. By the way, that will affect business models, education models, healthcare models. I mean, everything. One of the things I was responsible for under Secretary of State was infectious diseases. So, you know, the pandemic and where that came from and all that. Keith Crock, this has been lightning. It's been fun. How can people find you? You know, where, where can they go to learn more? Well, they can go to the Crock Institute for Tech Diplomacy. That website is uh, uh, techdip.org. KeithCrock.com is another one. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Fantastic. Thank you for watching the icons. More to come.